The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Happy Easter, Heritage! Yes! Welcome back to those of you that are a regular part of Heritage. There's some of you that are, that are kind of just coming back after a season away. We're glad you're here today. And there's some of you who are checking us out for the very first time. And man, I'd like to extend a very warm welcome. We're really glad that you chose to, to worship with us today as we celebrate the risen King. You know, I've got some really good news for you today. He is risen. Yes. We are gathering in this place today to celebrate... And to remember the most significant and most important moment, most significant and most important event in human history. It's not a fable, it's not a myth, it's not a legend, it's not a fairy tale, it is the truth. And that truth is that the Creator became part of His creation. The light came into darkness and dwelt among us as God took on human flesh in Jesus. And He lived a sinless life that you and I could never live. And as he came and he dwelt among us, he willingly laid down his life as the spotless lamb, the lamb of God. The sins of humanity were placed upon him. He took on our guilt. He took our shame. He carried it to the cross in our place where the just punishment that our sins deserve were poured on him, an innocent sufferer. And not only did he take our sins, he also gave us his righteousness. As Paul says, for our sake God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. It was on the cross that Jesus paid the price for sin. The empty tomb bears witness to Christ's victory over death. Amen? Amen. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that God approves of the payment Jesus made on our behalf for our sins on the cross. The payment for our sins has been paid in full. The risen Jesus is proof of that payment. And Jesus is alive today. The risen and ascended King is at the right hand of the Father in the place of divine honor, and He's interceding on our behalf. And there's many of you that have gathered here today, and you are absolutely convinced of that truth. You are here today to exalt Christ in your hearts and minds, to worship Him, to thank Him for saving you from your sins, that you may be born again and have an eternal inheritance. And so today is a day to worship and remember. And there's some of you here today who are still considering, investigating, wondering, weighing the claims of Christ. I'm so glad you're here. We're all welcome to come. And I stand here today, having preached many Easter services over the course of my life, and it's interesting that on this day I have more anxiety and more fear about saying something that is untrue. You did not come to hear a human man today. You did not come to be a part of a cool church with cool staff. You did not come to hear a great orator or be captivated by some guy. No, you came to encounter the living God. I'm simply a herald. I'm a messenger. I'm a conduit. My job is to get out of the way to let God's word do what God's word does that we may encounter the living God. So would you please turn with me to Luke 24, if you brought a Bible. As we look at this text... I'm actually going to read a rather large swath of of text this morning. I'm going to ask you to follow along and listen. If you brought a Bible, you can read along. You can close your eyes. You can listen to the story. We're going to see, as Aaron read the first few verses of chapter 24 this morning, we saw mourners. We saw women approaching the tomb of Jesus, heartsick, devastated over the death of Jesus. And as we 
read the last few verses of Luke's gospel, at the end of chapter 24, we see people with great joy. We see them worshiping. We see them blessing God. So in one chapter, we go from mourners to worshipers, from those who grieve to those who have great joy, from those who are broken to those who are blessing God. And the difference is the resurrection. You see, the resurrection changes everything. Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, he answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to him, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told him what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, this is, that it is I, myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said these, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, 
And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Wow. I could just say amen and we could end the service. From death to life. From broken hearts to burning hearts. From closed minds that only see darkness to open minds that now can see and respond to truth. These truths are far too wonderful for our minds today. Thank you, Lord, that you have, you have preserved these words for us today. Thank you, God, that you have revealed your truth to us today. Oh, God, give us minds to see, eyes to see, minds to understand, ears to hear. The resurrection changes everything. Pray with me. Father, I'm so thankful that we get to gather in this place today. And God, I know there's men and women here from all walks of life. God, there's churchmen and churchwomen who, are, who have been attending Easter services since the beginning of time. And there are men and women here today who feel like a fish out of water, but they're here and they're desiring to hear from you, hear something. And there's all of us that are in between. God, would you meet us in this place today? God, would you give us ears to hear the truth? Would you give us eyes to see and hearts to respond in obedience to the things you reveal to us today? God, we love you. We invite you to meet us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, every generation has a where were you when moment. The greatest generation has December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor. Where were you when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor? My parents' generation, the boomers, they have JFK assassination. Where were you on November 22nd, 1963, when JFK was assassinated in Dallas? My generation, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. We all have the where were you when the space shuttle Challenger exploded, and we all watched on, I think it was January something, 1986. And then the, the millennials have, where were you on 9-11? Massive, where were you when? And then for all of us, and especially for Gen Z, the generation of my kids, their where were you event was the pandemic. It wasn't a date, it was a month when. Now I recognize that's been used to divide our country. Go back to the first days when we didn't know what it was and all we knew that there was people dying and there was this virus and the world was being shut down and people were afraid the reason why these are where were you when moments is because they're sensational stories. They capture the media's attention. They capture our attention. They change the course of history. But in each of these stories, what's on display is loss. Loss is on display. These are devastating moments in history. And the world watched as loss unfolded. We remember where we were because it's seared into our conscience. Now, as we look at our text today, these disciples are in the middle of the ultimate where were you when story, each and every one of them. They, they had watched in horror as their rabbi, their teacher, their leader, who they thought was the Messiah, as he was arrested and, and beaten, and he was nailed to a cross. He was convicted and brutally tortured to the point of death. For three torturous days, the followers of Jesus were in hiding. And they thought this was it. All they could see was darkness in every direction that they looked. All they could see was the end of a dream. All they could see was the death of their, their king. But it's interesting, as the story unfolds, we recognize that the darkness is not the where were you when story that we thought it was going to be. There's something much greater that happens. The resurrection of Jesus. 
I mean, these disciples and these followers of Jesus, they saw Jesus and they saw him alive and they followed him and they had an idea of who they thought he was. And then he died and they thought it was over, but then he lived again and it changed everything. And I can imagine for those who knew Jesus and those disciples and followers who knew him in this time, uh, for the rest of their lives, everybody who knew that they knew Jesus, for the rest of their lives, they were always asked the question, where were you when you first encountered the risen Christ? Tell me the story. And I bet you they never drew, grew tired of sharing that story because they had this amazing encounter with God in the flesh. And I imagine they told it again and again and again. It was a beautiful, life-giving, where were you when story. See, the resurrection, it changes everything. It was and still is and will always be the most significant moment, the most significant event in the history of humanity. And so as we think about these travelers on this road to Emmaus, we have to kind of put ourselves in their shoes. Just seven days earlier, with the applaud of the crowd and the waving of palm branches, Jesus on the back of a donkey rode into the city of Jerusalem. In their mind, it was the coronation of Jesus. He was going to ascend to the throne. He was going to establish his earthly kingdom, and it was going to be amazing. And they were so excited just seven days earlier. And then they watched as the days rolled by, as Jesus turned over the tables in the temple, and as he confronted the religious authority, he confronted the political authority, he made no friends, many enemies. They sat with him on a Thursday night as they shared a Passover supper together. And Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings, got down on his hands and knees and washed their feet. And he taught them about his kingdom. And he prayed for them. And he prayed for us on that night. And they got up from that table, knowing that one of them was going to betray Jesus because he said it was so. And they wandered out of the city to a garden called Gethsemane. They watched as Jesus fell on his face in the garden. As his sweat became as great drops of blood, his soul was crushed to the point of grief. And he begged God to take the cup of suffering from him, but he said, no, God, not my will, but your will be done. And agonizing, Jesus pulls himself off the ground, and he's met with a clamoring gathering of soldiers led by Judas into the garden. Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek. He's betrayed. There's a scuffle. A guy loses his ear. Jesus puts it back on. They haul him out of the garden. He goes through a mockery of a trial, stands before Pilate, stands before Herod, he hears the crowd chanting, crucify him, crucify him. They want Barabbas. Barabbas. And then he's beaten beyond recognition. He's forced to carry his cross outside of the city to the top of a hill. He's nailed to a cross between two thieves. For six hours he hung on a cross on a Friday. We gathered here on Friday night to remember Good Friday. The sky turned dark. The earth shook. The curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The curtain that separated God from men. And all the disciples and followers of Jesus scrambled into hiding. Their hopes, their dreams, their visions, their future, all of it was buried with Jesus. Could make no sense of it. They thought to themselves, nothing good could come from this. They thought this was their where were you when moment. They thought they were going to tell this story forever. The crushing moment that everything died on a cross. They were in the midst of the most life-altering traumatic event they'd ever experienced. And so here's these two men. Or maybe it's a man and a woman. It's Cleopas and a traveler. Some thinks it might be his wife. Some it might be a friend. Two travelers on the road. And that's the heaviness of the moment for them. 
And then Jesus draws near to them. They were kept from recognizing that it's Jesus because they couldn't understand the full ministry of the Messiah. They never understood what Jesus was saying. They struggled to connect the dots. And so when Jesus appears to them, it's like a, a metaphor for the, for the way they had been blinded to the full ministry of Jesus all along. They can't recognize him. To them, it was a mystery man. Luke lets us know that it was Jesus. He asked them, what, what were you guys talking about? And they stopped. They stand still. They look sad, it says in verse 17. It's so heart-wrenching for them to recount what happened that they, they can't even walk. And then kind of angrily, Cleopas says, are you the only person in the entire planet who traveled to Jerusalem who doesn't know the horror of what has transpired over the last three days? And so, so Cleopas, un, unbeknownst to himself, is rebuking Jesus. Probably not, you know, probably not a good place to be. Jesus shows grace. And he says, well, tell me the story. And so they tell the story. He says, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, the chief priest, the authorities crucified him. Verse 21 kind of gives us a peek into what they were thinking. Cleopas says, but we had a hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. They could not connect the dots. And the tomb was empty, but they couldn't figure that out. The women said they'd seen angels, but they just couldn't hear that. Even one of the disciples, or a couple of the disciples, went and saw the empty tomb. They couldn't make sense of that. So here's these two travelers. They have no box within which to place the crucifixion of Jesus. It was not even close to being a part of the plan. It wasn't a blip on the radar. It wasn't even a consideration. And when Jesus died, so did their hope of seeing the kingdom of God the way they thought it was going to be. Think of what they, they had seen. Pastor Jeremy talked about this this morning at our sunrise service. They had seen the blind regain their sight. They had seen the lame walk. Lepers were healed. The hungry were fed and satisfied. Even the dead were raised to life. Storms were calmed. They, they imagined that this kingdom of, of Jesus was going to be this glorious kingdom. And they cannot square the death of Jesus with the will of God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever went through a loss in your life that is so searing and you want to be really careful before a holy God, but you're like, God, I cannot understand. If you are good and if you are for me, why would you, why, God, why? You ever been there? I have. So what does Jesus do? Well, he, he speaks to them and he rebukes them. Oh, foolish ones, he says, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. And, and one of the most interesting verses for me in all of Scripture is verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. See, these men believed that the cross was a symbol of death and defeat. But Jesus says, you think that the Father was asleep at the wheel? Really? And he opens up the Scriptures. It's a two-hour walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Uh, I would give anything to have heard that sermon that Jesus preached that day. He took his time. Think about this. He had just defeated death. He had just secured salvation. Uh, he just atoned for the sins of mankind. His heavenly throne awaits his ascension. And yet he takes a few moments to, to stoop down and engage a couple weary travelers whose hearts are broken. They're not even of the twelve. These are some periphery disciples or followers of Jesus. And yet, with everything that's going on, this is the day he conquers death. The God of the universe has enough compassion and heart to draw near to these two weary travelers whose hearts are just crushed. How encouraging for you and me when our hearts are crushed. 
That our God doesn't just look past us. He's not this far-off, impersonal God. He is a personal God who loves us and draws near to us. What a picture. And then Jesus, the living word, exposits the written word, Scripture. And all of the written word finds its fulfillment in the living word. Jesus says he is the culmination of God's written revelation. Jesus. All of Scripture is about him. All of Scripture points to him. And therefore, what that means to these travelers, they hadn't connected the dots yet, but we find out later that as Jesus was teaching them, their hearts were burning. They were broken earlier, but now they're burning as he's, as he's saying, no, that this was God's plan. He's teaching them from Scripture that, that God knew what was happening. God's will was unfolding. The crucifixion was not a divine disaster, in other words. God was never asleep at the wheel. It was all part of his plan, all of it. The corruption of Pilate, the corruption of Herod, Governmental authoritarian corruption was part of God's will. Remember that. It's very useful to have in your pocket. The failures of the disciples, the betrayal of Judas, the abandonment of his disciples, all of it was a part of God's sovereign plan. What Satan means for evil, God will use for his glory and for our good. In fact, it was some 700 years before this moment that through the prophet Isaiah, God spoke of this. Jeremy read this text on Friday night. In Isaiah 53, we find out that it was the will of the Lord to crush his son. This was the plan of God. These men that had their hand in crucifying Jesus thought that they were in control. It was the will of God. And as he teaches them, they draw near to the village. It's becoming nighttime. And they urge Jesus to stay with him. It's dangerous to travel at night on the roads. And so this mystery traveler. They had not yet recognized that it's Jesus. He, he comes to stay with them. And we read in verse 30 that when Jesus is at the table with them, he takes some bread and he blesses the bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And verse 31 tells us that their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sights. From broken hearts to burning hearts, the resurrection changes everything. When they recognized it was Jesus, in that moment, their world exploded. How did they, why in that moment? Why why not in the road when he was teaching did they not recognize that it was Jesus? Ultimately, we don't know. But here in this moment, when Jesus takes some bread and he blesses it and breaks it, they recognize it as Jesus. Perhaps it was the pattern of blessing and breaking of bread that reminded them of the feeding of the 5,000. And they're like, oh, that's Jesus. Perhaps when the bread was broken, it reminded them of the supper they had shared four days earlier at the Last Supper when the bread was broken and they had communion and a new covenant was instituted. Or perhaps, perhaps when the hands of Jesus stretched across the table and they saw the hands, the glorified, risen hands of Jesus with nail-pierced scars break the bread, they recognized who they were sitting in the midst of, the risen Lord. And they can't believe it. They freak out. Did not our hearts burn within our chest when he was teaching? Oh my goodness, I don't care if there's bandits on the road. I don't care if there's robbers. We're going back to Jerusalem, seven miles. It was a 14-mile day. That's a long day. They go back to Jerusalem. They can't wait to bust in and tell the other disciples what they had seen. So when they bust in, they're getting ready to tell. I'm imagining that they're short of breath. They just traveled a long day. They get ready to tell that they had seen the risen Christ on the road and in, in, Emma, in, in Emmaus. But, but before they can get anything out, the, the disciples tell them, the Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. They're like, yeah, we were going to tell you that. He appeared to us. Dang it, you took my thunder. But they start just talking and they're excited and there's a buzz in the room. They're all realizing and they're trying to connect the dots. Like, what could this mean? 
We thought that the cross was a symbol of defeat. It's not a symbol of defeat. We thought he was dead, but he's alive. What could this mean? They're reinterpreting everything. They're replaying every conversation they ever had with Jesus in their mind. They're thinking of every scripture they ever memorized. They're thinking of everything they can. What must this mean that he has defeated death and he's alive today? And then all of a sudden, it stops. And in the midst of the chaos, Jesus appears. And notice what Jesus does very deliberately. He reveals his physicality. This is super important. Because for centuries, people have tried to undermine the integrity of the resurrection. They've tried to claim it was a, an allegory or a story or a myth that Jesus was a mass hallucination, that he was a ghost or an apparition. No, no, no. He is real. And Jesus needs these men and women to embrace the reality of his resurrection. He's not a ghost. He's not an apparition. He's not a mass hallucination. He says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And just in case you're not sure, I, I, want, I want some fish. And he eats fish. It's crazy. The Gospel of John tells us that Thomas had earlier said, I'm not going to believe it until I put my finger in the hole in his hands and the hole in his side. So Jesus is like, have at it, Thomas. There you go. Come on. And what does Thomas do? He falls to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus teaches. Goes back to the scripture. He said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The scriptures have been pointing to him all along. This was always God's plan. And in this moment, he had taught these men and women for, thir- for three years, but in this moment, Jesus has their undivided attention as never before. Jesus is saying the resurrection is real. This is the reality of who I am. This is, I'm here, I'm present, I'm with you, I'm not an apparition. I told you this would happen. I didn't just tell you that I was going to die. If you remember in the Gospel of Mark that we've been teaching at Heritage for the last several months, three times Jesus predicts his, or he foretells of his arrest, his death, and his resurrection. He's been telling them all along this would happen. The Old Testament speaks of this. The resurrection changes everything. Jesus lived. He died. He lived again. And he's alive today. What an incredible truth. So as we think about this text, very quickly I want to share with you three things. Three things that this text reveals about the significance of the resurrection. If you're a note taker, I would encourage you to take notes. Otherwise, you can just listen. Number one, the resurrection means the cross is victory. The resurrection means that the cross is victory. Think of the horrors first century Jews had experienced at the hands of the Roman Empire. A cross was a Roman torturing device. It was psychological warfare. It was used to keep people in line. You got out of line, you threatened insurrection, you got in the way of the king, you got in the way of Caesar, you're going to get nailed to a tree in front of everybody to see. So these men and these women had seen their friends, their countrymen nailed to trees. It was a Roman torturing device. They just watched Jesus nailed to a tree. It was a symbol of defeat in their mind. In their mind, when Jesus died, the ministry and the mission of Jesus died as well. They couldn't comprehend how God's anointed king could suffer. It just did not make sense. Those two things did not go together in their minds. In their mind, the Messiah was to be blessed by God. The Messiah, God's anointed, was to be someone who had God's favor resting upon him, had God's protection. In the Jewish mind, there was nothing quite so shameful and scandalous and horrific as death on a cross. In fact, Deuteronomy tells us that cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. That's how they believed. That's how they thought. That was their worldview. And they had just witnessed Jesus hung on a tree, cursed, afflicted, and killed. 
In their mind, the Messiah never could have died that way. He was to be upheld by God and accompanied by God and empowered by God and protected by God. But Jesus, by all accounts, was abandoned by God. They watched from afar as the horror unfolded for six hours. The sky turned dark. They may have even heard the cry of Jesus, Eli, Eli, Lemeshabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the death of Jesus, in their mind, was the opposite of what anyone would have thought of for the Messiah, for the King of the Jews. But as the text unfolds, we recognize that God was doing something they weren't aware of. The cross doesn't have the final word. There's an empty tomb that speaks the truth. Because Jesus is alive. Which means that God did, in fact, raise Jesus from the dead. As they sit at this table with Jesus, these, these travelers from Emmaus, and all of a sudden they see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus or whatever it is, simultaneously they would have recognized the implications. He's alive. Oh my gosh. A spider web of thoughts as they're trying to connect the dots. The resurrection caused them to reconsider, to relearn the entirety of scriptures, to rethink everything they had experienced. And they're thinking to themselves, if God, if God raised Jesus from death, well then Jesus is loved by God. He's, he's blessed by God. He's been vindicated by God. God does uphold him. God does empower him. He is God. And as we look at the empty tomb and the cross, we recognize they go together. The cross and the empty tomb go together. The cross and the resurrection go together. I like how Timothy Keller puts it. He says, the resurrection paired with the cross makes the cross make sense. And it opens up all of Scripture. I think of what Paul writes in Romans 6. He says, for We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So these these followers, these disciples, their sights were too low. They were thinking earthly kingdoms. I heard this week that the Messiah's glory was not going to come by triumphing over Rome. The Messiah's glory was going to come by him triumphing over death. And for three days, these travelers believed the cross was a symbol of defeat. But in light of the resurrection, they now recognize, and we recognize, that the cross is a symbol of victory. Think of how unique this is. This is a Roman torturing device. To the first century audience, this would would spark fear, trauma, horror, death, psychological warfare. But the miracle of the resurrection, the miracle of the gospel, it transforms this to a symbol of hope and a symbol of victory. It's incredible. The resurrection, it changes everything. The second thing we see in our text is the resurrection was God's plan all along. Jesus routinely in this chapter points back to his word, points back to the word. The angels tell the women by the empty tomb that they are to remember how Jesus told them while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And they remembered his words. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus opens up the scriptures. The writings of Moses and the prophets points to how all these things had to do with him. The Gathering with these disciples behind closed doors, he again opens up the whole of scripture. The resurrection is the lens that we are to look through. When we look through the lens of the resurrection, especially this first century audience, the the scriptures begin to make sense. And as they're thinking about all of the biblical history that they knew that was just ingrained in them, okay, so so, so Jesus is God's anointed. He is the Son of God. So, So 
The seed of Eve that's going to crush the head of Satan is, is was told in Genesis 3. That's Jesus. So, so Noah had an ark that brought salvation to few. It was a wooden ark. Jesus went on a wooden cross and purchased salvation for many. So he's a greater Noah. So God told Abraham in the Abrahamic promise it would be through Abraham that all the, the families of the earth would be blessed. It's through Jesus, the, the descendant of Abraham, that all the families of the earth will be blessed. And they're rethinking all of Scripture suddenly through the lens of Jesus. They're thinking of, of when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain and he was going to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah and then God provides a ram to die in the place of Isaac. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, dies in the place of humanity. He's a greater sacrifice. There's just, all this is just coming to their mind as they're thinking about Scripture. They're thinking about Moses, this great deliverer who delivered the people of God from the oppression of Pharaoh. But Jesus is the ultimate deliverer who delivers the people of God from the oppression of sin and death. They're making it, connecting the dots. They're beginning to recognize how all of this is about Jesus. Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days. He was, he was released from the belly of the whale and he spoke a salvation message to the sinful people of Nineveh. Jesus was in the belly of the earth for three days and he emerged from the belly of the earth and he secured salvation for sinful humanity. They're just recognizing how it's all through the scriptures. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a fire, but there was a fourth man in there. Could it be Jesus? Daniel interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar about how this, this rock, this mountain, crushed the kingdoms of the earth. The rock is Jesus. It's all over. It's all about him. It's always been about him. The resurrection changes everything. The author of Hebrews makes it clear that Jesus is the truer and better law. He's the truer and better version of the temple. He's the truer and better sacrifice. He's the truer and better high priest. He's the risen king. The resurrection changes everything. And these men and women are looking back, and now everything is different. Have you ever seen the movie Book of Eli? It's very bloody, so don't judge me. But the movie Book of Eli, you've got Denzel Washington, who plays this, it's this post-apocalyptic world. He has the last copy of the Bible on the earth. Everybody's trying to get the Bible so they can manipulate it for power and control. And Denzel Washington is trying to deliver it so it can be preserved and copied and shared again with humanity. Don't rent the movie. But... You watch the whole movie for the first time, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting story, and you get to the very end of the movie, and you realize the book is in Braille, and the whole time, Denzel Washington has been blind, I just ruined it for you, and the whole time, he's been blind, you're like, what? It's incredible, and then you go back and watch it a second time, and you can't not see that he's blind, it's everywhere, you just didn't see it, because we didn't have that lens yet, you're like, oh, clearly he's blind, clearly, walk by faith, not by sight, yes, but it's so clear, these men and women... Now that they see the risen Christ, they're taking that, and through that lens, they're looking back at biblical history. They're like, oh my God, how did we not see this? It's everywhere. It's always been about him. The scriptures have always, this has always been God's plan. It's incredible. And so the resurrection, it means the cross is victory. The resurrection was God's plan all along. And the last, the last thing we see in our text that I want to share with you is the resurrection is the hope of new life. The resurrection is the hope of new life. Jesus really encountered these people. Luke goes out of his way to make this abundantly clear. I mean, Luke is both a physician and a historian. Some say one of the greatest historians who ever lived with careful precision and attention to detail under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Luke records this account for us. And he records these encounters of Jesus with his followers. It's not allegory. 
The resurrection of Jesus is not, a, is not a symbolic story that serves as a metaphor for some form of spiritual enlightenment. This isn't a legend that speaks a higher truth. Luke, Luke wrote this to make it abundantly clear. Jesus was alive. He was present in physical form. Luke is making sure to affirm the historicity of this account. This happened. This is a historical event. In dateable history, Jesus conquered the grave. He rose in bodily form. He is carefully and faithfully presenting the reality of the resurrection. He wants us to know this happened. Burning hearts. And we also read that an encounter with Jesus opens minds. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. We see this encounter with the risen Christ it results in burning hearts and open minds, greater understanding and greater passion. And the knowledge of the truth that manifests in living passionately in light of the truth. This is what the resurrection does. It changes everything. The resurrection means that the cross is victory. The resurrection was God's plan all along, and it is the hope of new life. And it didn't just change the lives of those first century disciples. Today, the resurrection for you and for me in this place means the same things. The resurrection still means for you and for me that the cross is victory. The resurrection means for you and me that it was God's plan all along for them then and for us today, and it is still the hope for new life. There's not one of us who walked in this room today not struggling with sin. Not one of us. Some of us have gotten really good at hiding it. But all of us struggle with sin. The cross is where sin is put to death. We don't put it to death. Jesus puts it to death. He atoned for the sins of humankind on the cross. We go to the cross and we receive grace. We go to the cross and we experience forgiveness and restoration. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy was preaching and he was quoting Kathy who was quoting someone else, but the phrase was, be killing sin or it will be killing you. The cross is this place where we go and these sins that separate us from God are nailed to the cross. We find grace, we find forgiveness, and it never runs out. We never exhaust the patience of God. We never exhaust the grace of God. And the scriptures are still true. Just like the scriptures pointed to Jesus 2,000 years ago, the scriptures reveal God to us today. We go to the scriptures for growth and for intimacy with God, for truth that is our source and our guide. It points us to Jesus. The scriptures are the center of the Christian life as we worship the living God. And then the resurrection is the hope of new life. Man, we have got a lot of where, where you win stories, don't we? There's the big grand ones that happen on a global scale. And then every one of us could talk about personal where were you win stories. When that person you loved died. When you went through that trauma. When you were abandoned by that person. When your dreams failed and crushed. When you suffered chronic pain. When you got that diagnosis. We all have those where were you win moments individually. And it's incredible what... If the, cross, if the gospel, if the resurrection can take a Roman torturing device and it can make it a symbol not of death but of, of life and victory, when we apply the gospel to our lives, what can it do to our lives? What sorts of darkness in your world can be turned to light by the power of the resurrected king? What, I mean, he, he brings life from death. He brings 
beauty from ashes. He brings strength from weakness. He brings healing into the lives of the broken. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And then John paints this incredible revelation for us that there is a day for all of us that are in Christ, we will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And he will be with us and he will be our God and we will be his people. And Revelation tells us that he will wipe every tear from our eyes and death will be no more and neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. The former things will have passed away. He will make all things new. That is our great hope. Whether Jesus returns or we, we die and we meet him, that is our great hope. We stand in the presence of Jesus. We will have complete and thorough restoration of all things. I know I've shared this with you, but think about the most horrific losses in your life. Think about those moments, like I said earlier, when you said, God, nothing good can come from us. Think about those moments. We, maybe not all of us have them, but many of them have those moments that we are still wrestling with God about, like, God, I'm not sure why you let this happen or, or why this thing unfolded. Think about those moments. There's going to be a day for those of us that are in Christ Jesus that we're going to stand in his presence And we are going to be able to see and drink and experience to the fullest, to the the infinite level, complete and total restoration. He's going to make all things new. And you've heard me say it before. He doesn't make all new things. He doesn't start over. He takes all the broken little pieces, all the heartaches, all the difficult things, all the ugly things, the stuff Satan meant for evil, but God will use for, for your good and for his glory, and he puts it all together. And there's going to be a day when we're in his presence and we're going to fall on our face We're going to worship him for all of eternity. And we're going to cry out praise and worship. We're going to cry out adoration for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And when we lift our head up, we will not have exhausted a billionth of the goodness of God and the beauty of God. This is is the hope of the resurrection. This is the truth of the kingdom of God. So remember that. Whenever you find yourself saying nothing good can come from this, remember that those where were you when stories, when we entrust them to the Lord, they can be beautiful, restorative, where were you when stories. And so there's many of you here who have a where were you when story when your eyes are open to the truth of Jesus. And today you're here to celebrate that, that God has called you his own. You've been born again. You've been bought by God. You've been adopted into the family of God. Celebrate that today. Where were you when your eyes were open to the truth of the gospel? My guess is there are some in this room today. Let me put it this way. Where were you when you met the risen Jesus? How about in a gym in Medford, Oregon, Easter 2022? He came for you. He's here for you. No one runs too far. No one sins too much. If you have ears to hear, hear this. The resurrection means the cross is victory. Your sin has been dealt with. The resurrection means that God has been in control and sovereign all along. He's never asleep at the wheel. The scriptures attest to that. And the resurrection gives you a hope, a future hope, an eternal hope that you can anchor your life upon. Because the resurrection changes everything. Pray with me. Father, so thankful for the men and women who you've gathered here today. So thankful for those of us that have a story to tell. 
So thankful for those of us that can say, oh, I have this, I have this where were you when story. When I was wandering far from God, I was living my own way. I was rejecting the truth of God. I was making it up as I went. And then you invaded my life. You pierced the darkness. You opened blinded eyes. You softened a hardened heart. And you called my name. And you brought me to yourself. And today I'm remembering that and I am worshiping you. Renew me in the gospel. Many of us are there today. God, may that inform our worship today. And yet I know, and yet I know there are men and women here today, God, who have never, who have never cried out your name. They've never turned their face to you in trust. They've never surrendered their life. There are people here today who this is the first time they encounter the risen Jesus. And so, Father, I pray by the power of your Spirit right now in this place, God, you would be softening hearts. God, you would be stirring hearts. You would be opening up blinded eyes. God, you would be breaking down strongholds in people's lives. God, you'd be loosening up ears for men and women to hear the truth. God, would you speak this truth into the lives of many that the resurrection means that at the cross there is victory over sin. That, God, you are sovereign and you have been sovereign and your perfect will has been unfolding since the beginning of time. And, God, there is great hope. There is great hope for those of us gathered here today. God, would you give us the faith to confess with our mouth that, Jesus, you are Lord. God, would you give us the faith to believe in our hearts that, God, you have raised Jesus from the dead and he is alive today. God, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.